to talk to you about honor in your hometown. The Bible says that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. It's interesting in the context of that, Jesus in his hometown, he's doing miracles. People actually says they're, um, they're marveling at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They're actually experiencing the Holy Spirit on his words. They're seeing miracles. Wonderful things are happening. And someone says, hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? Like, like, what's going on here with this guy? And then it says uh, they were offended, and they left, and he, Jesus could not do any mighty miracles in his hometown. And he talks about how a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I just want you to understand this. God will often have you start your ministry. Listen, when I say ministry, everyone in here is a minister. Everyone in here is a leader. Even if you're only leading your toothbrush, you're leading something, okay? You have influence. You have, uh, whether you're under or over or beside people, you have influence. And so when I use the word leader, I use the word minister. Um, I, I say this a lot. Let the, uh, let the excellence of your work be the platform for your witness. Okay? And so if you have a job, you're around people, you are, uh, yeah, you, you, have, you are a minister. And so God will have you start your ministry in a smaller area where people know you and are familiar to you so that you won't get addicted to accolades in order to advance. Often the people who are most familiar with you are the ones who least appreciate you. And so I'm looking to, I, I think when Jesus said that, he wasn't stating a biblical fact that's true for all times. You would think he was just saying, this is how it is. It wasn't like a prophetic declaration over every institution. And so what I like to do is, um, what if we reverse that? What if actually the people who you're most familiar with are the ones that we most honor? What, would that, what kind of environment would that create where you literally couldn't fail? It's like when, you're, when you are failing, you've got people reminding you of who you really are so you don't fail. And when you are succeeding, you've got people calling out why you're succeeding, and it's going to underline and boldface it in your destiny. What an environment that would be. What would that do to your kids to grow up in that kind of environment where they really couldn't fail? Because even their failures were learning opportunities and, power, and opportunity to make powerful choices. So uh, Mary and I, we did, took a trip, to, uh, well, it was a ministry trip to Idaho, the uh, booming mecca of Idaho. I was not aware of how, uh, I didn't even, I forgot Idaho was a state, to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm like, Idaho, is that somewhere in Africa? Like, where is that thing? And so we're out there on this ministry trip, and it was a really unique situation. There was a wealthy businessman there who had um, uh, inherited, what would that be, nine figures? And so, uh, yeah, nine figures. And so he felt the Lord put it on his heart to revitalize this town of 900 people. And so he employs like a third of the town, and he's got, you know, he owns 4,000 acres and just lots of neat businesses. One of the businesses he had was a hydroponics farm. I've been calling it a hydroponics farm, not realizing how ridiculous that sounds, you know. And the sound waves of water are counting, you know, I don't know what that means. A hydroponics farm. Here's what a hydroponics farm is. Ponics farm. What that is, is um, picture almost kind of like a greenhouse, but instead of it being grown in soil, it's, it's being grown in a container where the nutrients and the water are being fed directly to the roots. So it's, it's actually growing without soil. Normally, it grows in soil because it's, uh, the, soil, the roots absorb the nutrients from the soil. And they actually had it stacked seven layers high. So you can actually get seven acres of yield from one acre of, of land. It was actually amazing. And another thing about it is the crops grew year-round. It wasn't seasonal. It wasn't like seed time and harvest. It was like there's always seed, there's always time, and there's always harvest. It was just a continual. It was like super organic, all this stuff. We're actually looking to put one at our Pickerington campus. Like, why would you do that? Uh, so we can make money and give it away. So like, why, why? Anyway. And so, um, so I mean, 
yeah, I don't want to keep taking up offerings for the Normandy building. I want to have enough business. I'll actually, I'll just go ahead and tip my hat here. Um, we, I, I believe in five years we'll have enough businesses that will cover all the operating costs of both expenses, so 100% of your giving goes towards mission in our city and our nations. So that's what we're going after. It's part of the reason we brought uh, the rocket scientist here. He came and consulted us on the property, and just the things he drew up on a napkin were enough to blow my mind. And so... Uh, Literally, we were at a Mexican restaurant. He's like, I think this is where you should start. It was like, oh my gosh, I love you. And so anyway, not here to talk about that, but that is fun. So hydroponics farm, so it's interesting because it creates this environment where things can grow where outside of that environment they wouldn't grow. I mean, I'm talking in the winter, sun, spring. It doesn't matter what the weather conditions are. There's still an environment for growth. And I believe that's what really, uh, it's one description of what the church should be. It should, it should be like that incubator, that greenhouse, that hydroponics farm, that you're getting the nutrients that you need to grow no matter what the season is, no matter what the conditions are outside. And I believe one of those most important atmospheric conditions is honor. It's something that gets talked about in some circles. I really want to hit it again here because um, Jesus gave us this model for life and ministry. His prayer said this, the prayer he taught his disciples, your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we see extreme amounts of honor in heaven. Actually, uh, there, the angels, there's a, there's a group of spiritual beings called elders. I'm not sure exactly what they are, but they sound amazing. And they're around the throne of God, and they are uh, giving glory and honor and power and dominion. They're, they're just continually honoring God. It's not because he needs it. It's a knee-jerk response. I'm not sure if you ever, uh, like, I used to watch basketball in, like, the late 80s or early 90s, and that was the era of the bad boys. Anyone remember them? The Detroit Pistons, bad boys, Rick Mahorn, come on, all those guys. And so, VJ, the microwave, I mean, come on. And so, um, you know, but, uh, but there was one nemesis to the Detroit Pistons. It was the Chicago Bulls. And uh, they had an amazing team, but there was this one player, boy, what was his name? Michael Jordan, that just really stood out. And it seemed like this was the common scenario. You know, it's Sunday afternoon, watching the game. Pistons are up by one with three seconds left. It's awesome. We're going to finally beat these stinking bulls. And, um, you know, they're triple teaming Jordan. Everyone knows he's going to get the ball, and Jordan gets the ball. And he does some kind of voodoo and some, I don't know what he was doing. He would shake and jive and, uh, you know, no time left on the clock, you know. And, you know, you... It was a natural reaction. You had to respond. You know what I'm saying? You couldn't just watch that and be like, what else is on? <laughs> Click. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, 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 you know, if you were a fan, it evokes something out of you. That's how it is with the elders around the throne of God. They're not up there like program robots, must, worship, you know, glory, honor. It's, uh, it's, it's when they see him, it's a natural response that they have, okay? What I want us to do is get to the point where we are seeing the glory on another person and our natural response is to honor. Here's how, Paul, you're like, here's how Paul says, he says, no, no longer will you know someone after the flesh, but you will know them after the spirit. In other words, you're not going to just know them by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know how you want to keep someone a, a goofball? Is treat them like a goofball. What if that person in your life that is, has issues, they're one, one encouragement away from a tipping point. One person away from believing them away from a tipping point. I heard a story of a, uh, a chief who had a son who went to another, uh, another tribe and he stole something. And so 
they had an interesting way of disciplining him. What they did is they brought him in front of the uh, rest of the, uh, they brought him in front of the elders of the tribe. I can't remember how many there were, like 20 elders. And they had a campfire going. And so the chief sat here and he sat his son to his right. And then they formed a circle of the other elders of the tribe. And so what each uh, elder did is they began to reminisce about the amazing qualities of this boy. They didn't threaten him. They didn't make him do some fire walk. They didn't do this. They said, I remember when you were eight years old and you killed your first deer. I remember when you were uh, 10 years old and you went over to the other village and you began friendly relations between the village. And all they did is begin to remind him of the gold and not the dirt in his life. And uh, by the time the father finished up, he gave the grand thing and embraced his son. His son just sitting there weeping. And uh, his son was completely changed by the experience. What happened? He experienced a culture of honor. Honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. See, religion finds the sinner in the saint. Honor finds the saint in the sinner. You realize every person was created in the image of God. That means there's something there to celebrate. This, this works with kids, too. I mean, when uh, this is how we used to discipline our kids. They're like adults now, so they don't really get disciplined. We just, you know, we give coaching and feedback now. And so... Um, <laughs> And they give it to us, unfortunately. So, yes, it's, it's no fun raising free children. But, um, and so what we do is, uh, you, know, you, you know, you can, if you're going to honor, you've got to recognize you can't control people. So here's what happens is when I'm going to control you with my anger, and I'm going to control you with this and that, um, well, first of all, you can't really control anybody. You're just deceived. Okay, you, you really can't. You can influence them and, and try to do that, but all they're going to do is protect themselves from you. See, honor is all about protecting and maintaining these things that I treasure the most, and that's relationships. And so what we would do with the boys is, uh, you know, we, we, realized that, um, we realized early on in the boys' life that um, yelling and threats were not a great way to maintain relationship or to actually... Um, discipline them and to become the men we knew they could be. It just, it just isn't, you know, it just is a momentary thing, and now they just are protecting themselves from you. You know, why do you think kids lie a lot of times? It's because they know the punishment, and they're not stupid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? As Dallas Willard used to say, a lie is an abomination to the Lord and an ever-present help in time of need. <laughs> of course the kid's going to lie. He's not stupid. He knows he's about to get some heat applied to his gluteus or whatever that thing's called, buttocks. And so, the, uh, so we would take the boys, and so um, I'm, I'm a, of the two, I'm just going to have to admit, I'm, I'm probably the more the softer one of the two when it came to disciplining the boys. So Jesus was full of grace and truth, and so I'm grace and Mary's truth, and so together we make up the fullness of God. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so Mary's like, um, this is earlier on, we're learning stuff, you know, and so she'd be like, don't you just give those boys a talk. Don't you just encourage them. You know, they need some justice. I'm like, all right, all right, you know. And so uh, I'd go in the other room and like pray. I'm like, God, give me strength to spank them. I don't have it in my heart, you know. And it was horrible, man. And so uh, anyway, I'm not saying never spank your kids. Just has to, they have to be powerful in the process. They have to see you're helping them chase away a, a spirit of rebellion. I'm like, listen, you're not able to chase away the spirit of rebellion in your own strength. So I'm going to have to give you a reminder here. And so then, you, you know, next time it's like, hey, do I need to help you chase away the spirit of rebellion, or can you make that decision on your own? I can make the decision. Okay. <laughs> They're powerful in the process. And so, so what we do is we take the boys, and I'd sit them on the bed. And uh, this probably only happened once or twice in their whole life, right? No, we only had to discipline once or twice <clears throat> a week. And so, um, 
And so I would, uh, I think at least two of the three boys are here. I'm sorry. I, I should have got permission, but. And so I'd sit him on the bed, and I'd put my arm around him, and I'd say, you know what you did? And I'd, uh, and I'd just say, listen, that's, new, that's not who you are, buddy. And I'd just begin to remind them of the words over their life. I'd remind them of who I was saying, listen, you are a creative genius. You are bold. You were meant to shake nations. And what we do, we would remind them of who they were and not focus on who they were not. Culture of honor does not mean you never confront. It doesn't mean you ignore people's issues. It doesn't mean, oh, they got issues. Let's pretend they're amazing. That's flattery. That's not honor. Honor has lots of confrontation, lots of reminding them who they are. What if that person in your life, what if you are that person who's one tipping point away from being, uh, one encouragement away from a tipping point? It's an amazing thought. A good friend of mine uh, was very, very sick, and he was on his deathbed. Uh, There's three different times he almost died, and uh, you guys know this guy. And um, his wife, he told me his wife saved his life because she reminded him of who he was. And uh, so he said he's laying there dying, just wanting to give up, and she would crawl into bed with him, and she'd whisper, where's my lion? I know my lion's in there. Where's my lion? It would just give him just enough fight. That was a tipping point for him. He'll, yeah, he'll be speaking here this year. What happened? Someone reminded him of who he was when it didn't look like that. That's a culture of honor, gang. First commandment in the Bible that has a promise attached to it says this, honor your father and mother that you may live a long life. Giving honor actually releases life into a situation. Um... Why would you say honor your father and mother? Well, before you were married, who's the person you disagreed with the most? <laughs> your mom and dad. It's, it's so true, right? And if you can learn honor in that, in, in that environment of familiarity where you can't hide, where you don't have your date face on, everyone looks amazing on the first date. If you don't look amazing on the first date, you need some coaching or something, man. Like... <laughs> Like, anyone can put up an act and, you know, they've got it all together. But it's like, in the house, this is where it gets real. This is where honor is really tested. You cannot practice honor among strangers. You cannot truly honor Bill Johnson at any kind of real level, you know, unless you, unless you know him very well. Okay, we can honor him from a distance. We can honor people, you know. But until you actually know that person and get familiar with them, that's where honor is really tested. That's when it truly gets to be honor. Honor is celebrating who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. It's calling out the gold even when there's dirt covering the gold. I had, um, I had someone uh, deliver a word uh, fairly recently in our life, and it was just a bad word. And, uh, and so um, she was a prophet, and she actually prophesied to me, you are going to be speaking into the lives of prophets to help teach them. And she gave a word that was just kind of off, and so I was like, hey, remember that prophetic word you gave me about correcting prophets? Um, can I practice on you? <laughs> and so it was, um, it was so funny. The word was bad. Or, and um, she's like, yeah, I hope you are. She's like, because I said, you know, hey, this part was good and this. And she said, uh, I appreciate you finding the pony amidst all that manure. And um, her husband said, I couldn't even see the pony. I just saw a little shiny bell. And so it was kind of funny. But the way that she received their feedback was absolutely amazing. It was like, I've never had anybody correct me before. Thank you so much for caring. And you're right. And I knew I shouldn't have delivered it. I had all the ingredients, but they weren't quite ready. And so it just showed me an absolutely pure heart. But um, 
the, the point wasn't to punish her for having a bad word. I actually said, listen, we're going to have you back. We're going to have you, well, I shouldn't say that. We're going um, uh, we're, we're to give you lots of opportunities to share more in the future. I remember we had a young man. I want you to see that honor doesn't treat a person based on their mistakes. It, it treats them based on their prophetic destiny in God. Listen, we're, we're used to, I give honor the old-fashioned way. They earn it. That's not how honor works in the kingdom. Honor is based on how God sees them, not how you see them. Listen, it doesn't take a prophet to walk in a room and go, this room is cold spiritually. They're not hungry here. Well, thank you, Captain Obvious. Thank you for your powerful gift of prophecy for telling us that. Discernment can become dishonor if you don't recognize the purpose of discernment. The purpose of discernment is so that you move in the opposite spirit and call those things that are not as though they were. Um, Ezekiel, what do you see? Yea, that I say, I see a valley of dry bones. Thank you, mighty prophet, for that observation. That's not prophecy. That's not amazing. That's not spiritual to tell somebody how bad they are. Okay? Nobody needs a prophet to tell them the dirt in their life. They need a prophet to say, but I see that these bones can live. And it wasn't until the person had the discernment and released the word that something spiritual actually happened. What if the whole purpose for the discernment that God's showing you is so that you can be the cause of the change rather than smugly sitting there and diagnosing what's happening in the room? Not helpful. That one was free. As believers, we're called to be thermostats, not thermometers. So let's define honor. What honor is not. Honor is not flattery. Flattery is when I stroke your ego in order to get influence in your life. Okay? That's not it. Um, honor does not mean that we should ignore character flaws in people. Honor does not mean that we won't ever need to correct or rebuke or confront people. Here's what honor means. It literally means to glory. I'm going to go through these phrases kind of slower here, but it means to glory, to promote, to elevate another status to take them from one level and raise them to another, to give prestige to other people, to give respect and admiration. Let me go through these a little bit slower. To promote or to elevate the status of another. There's a great uh, story in 1 Samuel uh, 18. Jonathan is the son of the king. He's the heir to the throne, but he recognizes something on David's life in the spirit that isn't there in the natural. And he does something interesting. It says Jonathan took off the royal. He, he's taking off his symbols of royalty and giving to someone who doesn't deserve it, but God sees him that way. Uh, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So here's David, dressed like a common shepherd boy. Here's Jonathan, dressed like a king, and he says, listen, I'm going to take my status, and I'm going to elevate you up to my status. That's what honor does. I want you to see what happened to us, is when we came into Christ... He took his status and elevated us and said, you're now my brothers. You are no co-equal, heirs with Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's mind-boggling. And here's the thing. If you don't understand that your status has been elevated, you're going to be seeking the approval of man to try to elevate your status. You're going to be running around like an orphan, looking for the next prophetic word so I can feel like somebody. Then I'm going to begin to wear those prophetic words in my sleeves and let everybody know how amazing I am because I don't really believe it. I'm hoping someone else will believe it for me. 
Listen, if you're in that situation, it's okay. Here's what you need, is you need a culture of honor around you that believes it more than you believe it. Because I believe there's many people in this room who are just one encouragement away from a tipping point. See, when we recognize what the Lord has done for us, that's awesome, but it comes with a responsibility. When I have been given this status, I now have honor to give. If I don't recognize my status, I don't have honor to give, and I'm looking for everyone else to give it to me. A lot of people would like to just stay the servant boy. God, just, just tell me what to do, and I'll pick the ones that I actually want to do, and I'll just do those things, but don't ask me to make decisions and treat people. And Here's what you need to get. Honor is about what I have to give. It's not about what I'm trying to receive. Danny Silk, I, I, I need to give credit. I forgot to do that. I, I don't think I did. Um, I, I basically, I never heard about culture of honor until I started listening to Bethel and Danny Silk's teaching. So if I'm saying anything good today, it probably came from them or just me meditating on what they said. Okay, so I just need to give that credit. But um, Dan, what was I going to say? Man, yeah, I know. I lost it. I need more than that. I need, t- tap into the prophetic gang. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's close. It's getting there. Danny said something so good, it probably would have changed your life, but now it's not going to. Okay. (laughs) It's gone. All right. Ah. Danny said that people used to ask him to come, the pastors used to ask them, come teach on the culture of honor because pastors said, I want my people to learn how to honor me more. (laughs) Okay, guys, that's not honor. Honor is not about the man of God being honored, okay? There's something interesting in the Bible. It says that um, there's, uh, there's more visible parts that are easy to honor, but it's actually the less visible parts that deserve special honor. Okay, here, here, let's translate it for the church. It's easy for the man of God or the woman of God to be honored in a church and dishonored, unfortunately. But let's just go with the honored part. And, uh, but the hidden parts, it's not as easy to honor them because it's not so obvious what they're doing. And so listen, like no one's ever come up to me and like, Jim, you have got gorgeous kidneys. They are absolutely lovely. Like, right, those parts, like, they're not seen, they're not noticed, but they're more important than my eyes. I can live without my eyes. I can't live without my kidneys. You see what I'm saying? And so it's easy for us to honor the obvious things, the man of God, the person with the testimonies. It's not honor until the least person in the room is treated as the guest of honor. Here's what the Bible says. It says, there's coming a day in the end time church, we're in the end time since Acts 2. Jim, do you think we're in the end times? Duh, it says in the last days. You know, are we in the last days? Since Acts 2, okay? And here, here's the picture that, that, that God is building the church to. It says that the weakest of them will be like David. The strongest among them will be like God. Wow. What if we began to look at the other members and said, listen, they may be a goofball. But on their, uh, what God's raising them into is on their worst day, they're going to be like David, giant slayers, bringing the most prosperous administration of the kingdom that the planet had ever seen at that time. You're like, hold on, I don't know about this. Like, some people don't deserve it. Honor is because of who I am and what has happened to me because of Jesus. Now I have it to give. It's not because they deserve honor. It's not about conditional love, gang. We played that game for too long, and it's not working. 
They'll know we are Christians by our conditional love. By our conditional love. They'll know we are Christians when we're nice to the people who are nice to us. It ain't working. I'm sorry. This doesn't fit at all. This is for you, Ryan. <laughs> I just love James Maloney. And uh, last time he was here, he kept doing this thing. It's a demon. And for some reason, I just hear him say that all the time with things and stuff like that. So <clears throat> in our staff meetings, sometimes we'll be talking about someone. I want to say, it's a demon. Okay. It's a demon that makes us think that we are loving each other when we're loving people who are being nice to us. The Nazis did that to each other. ISIS is nice to people who's nice to them. Big deal. That does not take it. Unsaved people do this. Okay? Oh, man. I got to settle down here. If God elevated your status and promoted you when you didn't deserve it, he's showing us what heaven is like. We now have a responsibility and the privilege of treating other people better than they deserve, they, better than they deserve and better than they think of themselves. And when we do that, it changes them to become the kind of person who can be elevated and responsible. Again, I'm not saying that we just you know, act like everybody's amazing when they're not amazing. But when we begin to treat them after the spirit, it actually does something to their spirit. To give prestige to other people is uh, one of the definitions. Prestige means uh, it's only a high-ranking person, an official, somebody who's of status that can give prestige. Again, if you don't know your status in Christ, you can't give away that prestige. It's interesting, um, you know, there's there's places in the book of Revelation where human beings, people are saying, we give you blessing and glory and honor. Isn't that kind of like saying, like, um, hey, Bill Gates, we give you money? Like, uh, like... It doesn't really mean a whole lot to him. He's got a whole bunch. Like, like, like our level of glory, giving him glory, our level of honor, giving him, why, why, where did we get it from in the first place? He gave it to us to give to him. You have to understand, this prestige, he brought us into a realm that is so mind-boggling that it says the angels, the church is the university of angels and every member is a professor. We're literally teaching the angels of the goodness of God. They never got to experience mercy. They're marveling at the grace that has been extended to us. The absence of dishonor does not mean the presence of honor. Okay? Honor means I celebrate you, I don't just tolerate you. Just because you're not cussing that person out or saying what you really want to say does not mean that you're honoring them. Honor literally means I'm celebrating you. Oh, did I hear some clapping over there? I'll take that. Thank you. I see the gold and not the dirt. Someone said this. It was so brilliant. They said, I love to hear other people's prophetic words, so now I know how to treat them how heaven sees them. Wow. So who gets honor? You're like, Jim, who gets honor? Well, the Bible's got some commands. Honor Jesus. All right. I think we're, yeah, okay, yeah, we can do that. We can honor Jesus. Um, honor kings and our rulers. Hold on a second there. Now you're just meddling. Like, like what if they're a different political party than us? What if the uh, leaders are imperfer- imperfect? Listen, this would take away probably half of the posts on Facebook. I'm telling you what, if you just had to actually honor. 
You can disagree with the president, with the governor, with the mayor, with an elected official. You don't get to dishonor them. When you begin to call names, when you begin to, listen, what if they're just one encouragement away from a tipping point? I want you to think of the spiritual atmosphere that's created by a kingdom of priests on earth who are speaking out curses over an elected official. You're not being prophetic by dissing a public official. You're being pathetic. You're actually partnering with the accuser of the brethren. You look a lot more like your adversary than you do your brother. Not in the notes. This is just all coming free. Uh, wives, honor your husbands. And all the husbands said, woo But then First Peter says, husbands, honor your wives. All the wives said, I tell you what. If I was just doing an audio survey of those two things, the wives seem to be a whole lot more excited about being honored than the husbands did. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Let me just give you a freebie here. Wives, the reason it says honor your husbands as unto the Lord is husbands are basically looking for one level below worship from you. I'm just being honest. It's like, like you have no, the God created men with a giant ego, which means we're usually able to withstand attacks unless you attack our wife. But um, just so you wives, like, you think you're really encouraging your husband, take it up about 30 levels. There we go. Okay. <laughs> if you are dating and um, the person you are around does not make you feel more free to be you or empowered to be you, you're about to have a lifetime of that. Well, hold on. Where were you? Um, why, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you tell me you were going to go to that place? Dump them <laughs> I believe the prophet in sync said it best. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Not in the notes. How are we doing? I didn't wear a watch today, so it's, it's... You shouldn't have given me the mic after 11, too. That's just a bad idea. Who gets honor? Uh, honor widows. Yeah, we can do that. The last one gets me. Um, honor all men. Oh. Man, there goes the loophole. We were in kind of a roll there until we got to that one. I think most of us, it's like, I'll honor honorable people. But to honor all men, and uh, this is why this is so important. I'm never going to let your character defects influence my love or my honor. Somebody is getting free of that spirit. We just bless that. I will never let the way you conduct yourself conduct me. I can't allow how respectful you are to determine how respectful I am. How much you love me does not determine how much I love you. It's interesting to think about Jesus. He always had this thing on full blast. Whether he's hanging out at the bars with the harlots and the thieves, whether he's hanging out with people from different races in Samaria, whether he is with the uh, wealthy elite uh, at Zacchaeus' house, you know, like the IRS agent, you know, he actually had ISIS members. He had zealots who were terrorists on his team. Like, it didn't matter who he was around, he always had this thing on full blast. Jesus isn't afraid of their issues. He could be Jesus wherever he went. I started hitting this a little bit earlier. The target of honor is other people, not yourself. Again, honor is what I give. It's not like, hold on, I'm glad they're talking about this message of honor. I deserve some more honor. Um, 
Wrong message. <laughs> Rewind, listen to it from the beginning. Fast forward through a couple parts, but get the good parts. Our temptation, uh, okay, here's the test of honor. The test of honor is when people make mistakes. They let us down. They blow it. They overpromise. They underdeliver. They just flat diss us. And this, it's interesting. God does not David label. Uh, God does not label King David as the king of adultery. Look at this loser. I gave him everything. He had a whole kingdom. Good job, king of adultery. I think that's what a lot of us would do. We create some memes that uh, that reflect their failures and and hope that it goes viral. And uh, and call that being well, I don't know what you would call that being a jerk. Instead, here's what he, he, instead of calling him the king of adultery, he calls his son, Jesus, the son of David. He puts David's name on him, on his son for all of eternity. Isn't that interesting? When someone makes a mistake, shame will try to ride them like a pony. And our part is to remind them of who they are. Just like that tribal chief. This is who you are, buddy. This is who you are. Man, I, when you're acting like this, listen, I know this is the person that you really are. This is in you, man. Call them up higher. I remember, um, so when people make mistakes, it's easy to define them by their mistakes. Oh, they did that. I'm forever holding them at this position, and they can never move beyond that in my life because they disappointed me. Listen, guys, I want you to imagine if God treated you like that, king of adultery, the one who blew it, the one, you know, listen. Like, we have the privilege of now acting like God towards other people. So mistakes cannot define us. So I remember we had a, a young man who gave, a, he grabbed the mic and he grabbed, gave a word that um, God was going to heal eyes. And so if you've got contacts or you've got glasses, get up here, throw them on the stage. God was healing eyes. And I just knew in my heart, this is a bad word. Like, it wasn't like, like bad, it just wasn't God. I think he just got zealous and everything. So he gets up there. I mean, after service, people, they couldn't even find their glasses, literally. Like, like no one got healed. I think a couple of people got worse. And, um, and like, literally, they couldn't even see which glasses were theirs. And so, like, like we had, like, tons of glasses, and, like, contact lenses on the stage and everything. And I'm just like, O-M-G. And so, so I called them up. And um, for some, what, what do we do? We do coaching and feedback. So I'm like, hey, man, tell me what you were thinking when that when it happened. Like, what were you feeling? What were you kind of sensing? So he tells me and, and everything. And I said, well, you know, here's, you know, can I tell you how I would have liked to have seen it a little bit better? And yeah, well, you know, maybe you run it by somebody, you know, just grab the mic and we could have kind of discerned it and covered you and this and that. And so what's happening at this point? Shame's trying to ride him like a pony because he knows that he blew it, right? And so I said, hey, here's what's going to happen. I said, next week, you're going to come and you're going to deliver a word from the mic. I said, just run it by us this time so we can cover you and, and bless it. And uh, why was I doing that? He needed to get back on the saddle and not be held in this position as the person who did this all that time, right? You can't hold that person in their identity, otherwise they never get a chance to grow. All right. Honor your father and mother. Well, what if my mom and dad were jerks? What if they were abusive? What if they were strangers? What if they hate me because I'm a believer? Here's what the Bible says. Honor your father and mother. Larry Randolph puts it like this. Look for the glory that God has deposited in your father and mother and lock onto that and drag it to the surface in your relationship with them. See the deposits of heaven on their life and focus on that. Like, Jim, this isn't going to be easy. No, it's going to be supernatural. But there's got to be at least a shift in your mind so that it gives room for your heart to catch up. 
This might be a phrase that you might need to pray in the next coming weeks. Um, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. If that person who is gossiping about you understood that they're painting a bullseye for the demonic over their life, they probably wouldn't be doing that. So just, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I'm just going to close with this. I'll close with these two stories. I don't think I got anything else good. All right. So I just want to continue. If you don't walk away with anything else, I want you to walk away with this, is that um, you will meet people in the next week or two who are one encouragement away from a tipping point. So I remember I was in a, I was in a ministry situation. I was in a leadership position, a staff position, and uh, things were getting really tough. And uh, it got to the point where I actually thought about quitting the ministry. And actually, Mary and I had talked about it. It's like, listen, we, this, we just can't go on. We can't go on. And I get a call from my pastor, Cletty. <clears throat> and uh, he, just, he just picks stuff up. You know, he's just one of those guys. just knows what's going on. Jimmy, what's going on? And so I'm like, hey, pastor. I said, just in a tough spot here. Explain him the situation. I just said, you know, we're just, we're thinking about, um, we're just going to quit ministry. We're going to do something else. And so uh, I was at a tipping point. Right there. And so uh, he said, he called me Jimmy. I got saved when I was about 10, so he, I'm just Jimmy, you know. And so uh, Jimmy, God's supernatural. He said, man did not bring you to that church. Man cannot make you leave. It was a, t- it was a situation. And he said, um, God supernaturally brought you there, so he's going to have to supernaturally release you. And then he began to recite the words over the church that I was at that he had spoken and uh, that hadn't come to pass yet. And so he just said, you're not released because this, this and this hasn't happened yet. And it just, I don't know how, it, I felt like a deflated balloon, and it just inflated me. You know, it was almost like he poured courage into me, which is literally what encouragement means. It means to pour courage into somebody. And, man, I was one encouragement away from a tipping point. And so um, I'm really glad he did, or I wouldn't be looking at you today. And so another one is uh, Graham Cook tells this story about this family that was like, Let's just call them, this is his words, the worst family in the church. They had problems. They were causing fights and dissension. And so Graham discerns that they are supposed to take 400 people from the church and take up an offering and go over to their house. And so they go over to these people's house. They, they, oh, each person was supposed to bring five bucks. And so $2,000, they broke off the spirit of poverty in one, in one act. It was just like, wow, just God did something for them there. They prayed in tongues for one hour. Five people get healed in this thing. The family gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so they just break that thing off of them. And here's what starts happening. People, like in the weeks coming down, people would just pull into their driveway and say, I don't even know why I'm here. Like I just felt drawn to come in here. And they would lead them to the Lord. Like over and over and over again, there was just something that, what happened? The worst family in the church got honored. We see who you are. They, They prophesied over them. They called things out. And then they began to happen. Here's the essence of prophecy and the essence of honor is you call things that are not as though they were. I'm not talking about fake it till you make it. I'm not talking about looking at somebody and saying, you're amazing, but I really think you're a big fat jerk. I'm talking about, I see the glory on your life that God has deposited, and I'm going to lock onto that thing. I'm not going to focus on the dirt. I'm not going to focus on the manure. I'm going to focus on the gold, and I'm going to position my heart so that I can treat you according to that, regardless of how you are treating me. If we can get this thing right in the church, then we can get this thing right in the city. On earth as it is in heaven. So here's what I want to do. If we can have the ushers come forward, we're going to, um, uh, I, got, I have a little tool for you here. 
Boy, it's quiet. It's called 12 Phrases That Empower Others. I got it from Steve Backlund. He gave me permission to print it out. It's from his book, The Culture of Empowerment. And uh, he gives 12 different ways that you can honor people with your words. And so this is going to be good. I'm closing with this. So for you. Uh, um, encouraging words. And so I'm, I'm just going to read them for the people who are listening and, and watching. And so we'll put up a link so you can get this. But uh, I, oh yeah, I'm going to have you do some with this in a second. Okay. Encouraging words. Uh, for example, you're making a difference around here. Positive identity words. You are a person of great strategic insight. This gifting is taking our organization to higher levels. Specific Thanksgiving words. Here are three reasons I appreciate you. You make people feel valued in your presence. Your belief in me has a great strength, has been a great strength to me. Your prayer and worship life inspires me. Uh, I understand you words. You know, you can read these on your own, but uh, I need you words. Win-win language. I'm proud of you words. Like, I was thinking of you today of how proud I am of you. You are reliable. You do things with excellence, and you represent us so well. You are significant and important words, like you are important. What you do is connected to a bigger purpose and plan. We would not be nearly as successful without you. Prophetic destiny language. You are being prepared for bigger influence in the days ahead. This position you have now is training for those things. You've got what it takes words. You can do it. Nothing is impossible for you. Hope-filled words. There is always a solution. I don't know what it is, but God has one for this situation. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to um, uh, look through these things, and I want you to pick out what is one or two. Okay, first of all, let's just do this. Holy Spirit, who do you want me to give an encouraging word to this week? It could be someone unlikely. And so I know they're still passing it out, but you can, I believe that you can hear from the Holy Spirit and receive the paper at the same time, because I know this is the advanced group, okay? So, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to give an encouraging word to this week? So just take a minute. You're going to get a picture, a name, just kind of a sudden knowing. If you can't think of anyone, just give it to my wife. Okay? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, uh, I want you to just look through that list, and I want you to find one that looks easy, and I want you to find one that looks challenging, and I want you to deliver both of those. So one of them would be kind of like a, a natural word to give. Oh, yeah, I could see this on this person. Another one's going to stretch you. Okay, so that's your homework assignment this week. You got that person, and I want you to pick one of these that would be easy for you to deliver, one of you that would be more challenging.